John Maxwell tells a funny story about a grandpa visiting his grandchildren. And in the afternoon, a grandpa would take a nap. And then one day, the grandkids decided to play a joke. And so they put Limburger cheese uh, in his mustache. And Limburger cheese is very stinky. And when he woke up, he started sniffing. And he says, man, this room stinks. And then he walks into the kitchen and he says, man, it stinks in here too. And then he went outside for a breath of fresh air. And after a minute, he said, the whole world stinks. And that's what a self-righteous person is like. They can sniff out the sins and shortcomings of everyone around them. And they think, they think everyone stinks except them. But, but sometimes, Maxwell notes, the stink is on you. Turn to Luke 18. Turn to Luke 18. Again, if you don't have your Bibles, we have the blue Bibles in the back. That's our gift to you. But in Luke 18, Jesus is speaking to a self-righteous audience. This is the Pharisees. Put simply, if you don't know what self-righteousness is, it's the art of always being most bothered by someone else's sins. It's pursuing a PhD in the faults of others while being content with a GED-level grasp of your own junk. Self-righteousness is like bad breath. It pushes people away. It's often a sign of a deeper internal issue in one's life that needs to be fixed. And you don't realize you have it until someone lets you know. Self-righteousness. In a passage like this, forces us to confront our own self-righteousness and it forms us the dangers of exalting oneself. So if you've turned to Luke 18, look at verse nine. We're gonna read nine through 14 and then we'll kind of go verse by verse. He, being Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at verse nine again. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is another one of those parables where Jesus gives us the main theme on the front end. We're, we're told who this parable is directed at. It's for people who are defined by two basic actions. First, they trust in their own good works for righteousness before God. Man, I'm a good person. God approves me. God accepts me because of my effort, because I try real hard. Second, they treat others with contempt. And that goes together with the first, is I build myself up. As I seek to, you know, build myself up and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. 
I don't lie and cheat and steal. My kids are, are well-behaved compared to other people's kids, and, and I attend church, and I give, and, you know, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm righteous, and you can't help to, when you elevate yourself to naturally look down on other people. When you exalt yourself, you can't help but belittle others. That is who this parable is for. For people who walk around with that worldview. Look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So two very different men go up to the temple to pray. And Pharisees were known for what? We know, we, we talk about Pharisees all the time. For their religious devotion and piety and excelling above others in their religious observances. We've talked about tax collectors a lot. Tax collectors were social outcasts, often seen as traitors who extorted their own people for personal gain. They were unclean. They were aligned with the enemy. They were, by definition, a sinner. And so two very different men go into one temple to pray. Now, the idea isn't like in movies when, when the hero goes into a church and it's quiet and there's nobody there. This is most likely a time of corporate worship, of public prayer. Others would have been observing or participating in that. And so this is a very public thing that is happening, a type of prayer that is happening. <coughs> Look at verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. Man, this, this initial prayer is dripping with self-righteousness. And I don't think we get it sometimes, but count the eyes in this passage. There are five eyes here. I, 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 me, me, me. He's a me monster. It's all about him. You guys have met me monsters. It's all about them. It's all about their effort. It's all about what they do. I, I, I. And he starts off the prayer with, I am better. Thank God I'm not like the rest of these jabronis. That's a popular word in my house today, we like to say. He starts off this prayer with, thank God I'm not unjust like people in the world or an adulterer or, or, or like those sinners. And he even says something crazy. Think about this. He says, thank God I am not like this tax collector. What a, what a bold move. In church to say something like that. Imagine us in corporate prayer and me saying, hey, let's just spend some time thanking God. And somebody bowing their heads and saying, God, you know, I, I thank you for my children and, and, and you know, you've helped us financially this, this month. And then it goes to another person and they say, God, I just thank you I'm not like Larry. Like I'm not like... David, or I'm not like Greg. I mean, that's what's going on here. I'm thanking that I'm not like this guy right here. That's a, that's a bold play. 
That's a gutsy move in a church environment. When you're self-righteous, your eyes are always on other people. It's always a, a comparison game between me and others. And he says, thank God I'm, I'm better than them. And he also says, thank God I'm, I'm righteous. Look at verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He stands before God. Look, verse 12. Actually, go back to verse 11. It says, the Pharisee standing by himself. We didn't talk about that, but in verse 12, he also says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So he stands before God. He's standing, no need to bow. He stands by himself so righteous that no one can come near him. He, he says, I am, I am better. And now he begins to recite his resume before God. He says, I fast twice a week. Now, according to the law, you were only required to fast during the day of atonement. And so what is this guy saying? I'm, I'm you know, there's religious people who do that. And then I'm very religious. I go above and beyond God. And then he says, I tithe everything that I get, not just my livestock, not just my, my harvest. I'm tithing, you know, the, the, my, the things that I, I grow in my garden, every single thing I receive, every single thing I produce, I, I go above and beyond. God, are you impressed by me? God, I mean, come on. I know you created everybody in your image, but I mean, I'm a pretty clear picture of what you're like, right? Like, look at me, God. Look at everything well I've done. And if there's a paid express lane to heaven, this man sees his good works as, as tokens. That kind of put him on the fast track there. And so if we look at this man's theology, what he has done is he's created a, a horizontal scale of righteousness in which he can evaluate his and others' moral behavior and holiness. And then he reports to God what he has done and what others have failed to do. So he looks at you, he looks at me, he looks at us, and that's what he bases his righteousness on. I'm, I am better than these people. I go above and beyond. I can't help but look down on them and, them and treat them with contempt. And here's what happens when you have that worldview. You don't need anything from God. Do you see him in this text asking God for anything? Because he already has everything, right? He's already righteous. He's already doing well. He's already approved. There's no need to ask for forgiveness or, or mercy because A, I don't sin. B, what would you be angry at me about, God? I mean, I mean look at me. This is the prayer of the self-righteous man. Hey, God, I've arrived. Are you impressed? That's the prayer of the Pharisee. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So he stands at a distance from the sanctuary and the gathered crowd because 
he considers himself to be unworthy to stand in the presence of God's people before the altar. Lifting one's eyes, it was normal to lift your eyes in prayer in that day, but, but his head hangs low. He is not even worthy to do that. He beats his breast. He hits himself. This was not a normal action in this setting. It would have been embarrassing to display such emotion. But he's so overcome by his grief, this understanding that he is broken and there's this great chasm between him and God. He can't help but be overwhelmed and and act out in a way that wasn't socially normal at that time. He's just unaware in this moment, but he's real. And he confesses two things. The first is I'm a sinner. He says, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's actually a definite article there. And so yeah, it's the idea of have mercy on me, the sinner. And so he kind of puts himself in a whole new category, kind of like Paul. I was the worst of the worst. It's kind of what this guy is doing. I am the prototypical sinner. I am the worst of sinners. There's no qualification. There's no, but it was a bad day and I was angry and I was tired. There's no excuse. There's no reason. He just lets it sit. I am a sinner. And he says, have mercy on me. He offers no defense, no rationalization, no justification, just a plea for mercy. And his scale of righteousness isn't horizontal. His scale of righteousness is vertical. He's evaluated himself compared to God's holy standard, and he has woefully fallen short. There's not a focus on other people. He's not busy looking at what you do, what you do, what you do. There's no comparison game. There's no, I wish I was like that, or I'm glad I'm, I'm not like that. He's looking to his father in heaven, and he sees God's standard, and he knows that he's, he has fallen short of the glory of God. His standard is vertical not horizontal, and he says, man, I have fallen short. Where the Pharisee saw saw no need in asking God for anything, this tax collector knows he is unrighteous. I am fallen short, and I need you to treat me better than I deserve. Where the Pharisee needed nothing, the tax collector says, I need a savior. I need someone to show me mercy. I need someone to show me grace and to forgive me. Look at verse 14. And then we'll kind of break this down. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Why does only one walk away justified here? The Pharisee comes before God boastful and arrogant. Uh, He looked to himself for righteousness. He didn't need much from God because, hey, I'm doing pretty well on my own. The tax collector comes before God humble. 
He knows he's unrighteous and acknowledges his need for mercy, forgiveness, and grace. One fundamental truth is lost on the Pharisee, but it's all too real for the tax collector. And it's this truth. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us, you, me, I, Tori, Greg, none of us can come to before God and try to impress him with our good works in a way that, that imparts righteousness to us. We have no case for our own righteousness. However well-dressed we are on the outside or however messed up we are on the inside, we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we all need God's mercy because of our sin. Righteousness is a gift. Being made right before God, justified, comes not through obedience, not through trying to impress God with observing the law and doing all of the right things, but through faith in Jesus Christ's work on the cross on our behalf, his life for ours, his blood covering our sin. So if you're going to write something down, write this down. True righteousness is granted when we get off the pedestal and we get on our knees. It's a gift. And it's a gift we, we, we can't receive if we come to God with, with all of our trophies. I mean, how many of you collected your, your trophies as a, ch- as a child? You know, you had a bookcase with all the trophies on there. It doesn't matter if it was like camper of the week or, or you won the city championship in, in baseball. You had a collection of trophies, and you kind of bragged to your friends, hey, look at how great I am. I had a friend who was a second-degree Taekwondo championship, and he had a whole shrine dedicated. He was an only child. Uh, but he had a whole shrine dedicated to himself, and it's like we do that with God sometimes. God, look at all my trophies. Look at all my accolades. Look at all the good stuff I've done. Are you impressed by me? We can't receive grace and righteousness with our hands full. Guys, we have to come to God empty-handed, saying, I have nothing that can help my situation. There's no good work. There's no act of, of obedience that can make me fully righteous. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And we do that through putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner. Save me. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The application is obvious, right? Be the tax collector. Don't actually be a tax collector, but be the tax collector in this situation. I mean, you can be a tax collector, I guess. Not this kind of tax collector. Seek mercy and humility as a way of life. Now, this doesn't mean flogging yourself daily because you're a sinner. 
Some of us in this room are like, man, I feel like the tax collector every day. I just keep messing up, I keep messing up, I keep messing up, I'm no good, I'm no good. We can be just as preoccupied with our own sin as the Pharisee can be with self-righteousness. I mean, humility at times can be just as self-absorbed. And so the idea isn't to, to beat ourselves. We're to come to him, yeah. Knowing we need him, humble as a sinner. But one commentator said, our prayers are always in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Yeah, feel the depth of your brokenness. But he also wants us to celebrate the beauty of forgiveness and mercy he offers us through the gospel. I don't imagine, and I don't know, we're not told, but I don't think the tax collector went home beat up that day. Maybe for the first time he experienced peace. Maybe for the first time he experienced some level of joy because he admitted these things to God. Maybe he experienced some sort of contentment for the first time. Because yes, we're to confess our sin and be humble and mourn, but, but God never wants us to just sit in that. He wants to move our hearts to the goodness of the gospel. And that's what this passage is about. It doesn't mean beat yourself up, beat yourself up, beat yourself up. It's the idea of be humble. Acknowledge your brokenness. Yet celebrate that we do have a God that shows mercy. We do have a God that forgives. Be the tax collector. Don't be the Pharisee. Now it's scary because all across the world, self-righteous Pharisees fill churches. And before you go, yeah, amen, brother, hold on a second. Guys, I, I am a self-righteous Pharisee at times. And self-righteousness is very tricky because even as we read this story, self-righteousness can, can creep in. It's, it's easy for us to be disgusted at the Pharisee. I mean, he's just a self-righteous snob. And it's easy for us to identify with the tax collector. He's decent, he's humble, he's the underdog. Yes, go tax collector. And it would be very easy for me to say, okay, after reading this, let's bow our heads and thank God we're not like the Pharisees. You, you see? How self-righteousness can even make its way to people who are self-righteous and are people who think they're not and others are and, and how it can kind of weave itself into our hearts. Thank God I'm not like those Christians over there. Thank God I'm, I'm not like those conservative, you know, hyper-fundamental, uber-political. They don't understand the gospel like I do, God. Thank you so much for, for, for getting me out of there and not making me like them. I mean, we can be self-righteous about not being self-righteous. And so it's just very tricky when we look at self-righteousness and, and and, and part of the key is, is get your eyes off other people. 
The standard isn't me. My standard isn't you. My standard is God. The holy creator of all things who should be worshipped and praised daily, who is perfect and loving. That is my standard. And if I look at that as my standard, I know that yes, I put my faith in Christ for salvation, but I daily fall short. And that will humble me. That will take my eyes off of others. Self-righteousness is tricky. Paul David Tripp, he identifies some characteristics of self-righteous people. So here's just kind of a little test you can give yourself to to see if you're self-righteous or not. They do not work well with others. They consistently believe they are right and know best. They are resistant to change. They do not respond well when reminded they need to change. They do not desire others' exhortation or admonition. That's correction. Do not correct me. And even get angry at times when people try to help them out or guide them. They are not patient with those who mess up, struggle with sin, or have lost their way. They do not deal well with opposition or accusations. They will consistently wonder why God has singled them out for difficulty. Why me? I'm doing the the good things, God. Why is this happening? They do not see a need to admit or confess their sin, and they consistently point out the sin of others with an air of superiority. If that is you, and guys, it's often me, if that is you, we must put to death the Pharisee in us. We must let the gospel daily wash over our hearts. We're to trust God alone for our salvation and sing aloud, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When we do that, we pray that the gospel will cut away our our tendency to trust in ourselves for our own righteousness and that the gospel would shatter any superiority we feel to others. It's easy to be righteous, self-righteous in the world we live in. And and I'm going to tell you this. Self-righteousness and missions do not go together. Because you will constantly look at others you're trying to reach with contempt. And if you don't love the people you're trying to reach, you will not reach them. And so for this church to be missional, for this church to be out in the world, getting to know our neighbors, inviting people, hoping that people who aren't like us, who don't believe and who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. If we're going to do that, we need to be humble. We need to be humble before God so that we can be loving to others, not looking down on others with contempt. Now, does that mean we can't speak truth? No. It just means that we got to be careful how we do. But missions and self-righteousness 
It's like peanut butter and pickles. It's not good together. It's not good. And so we need to be humble. The church needs to be less self-righteous in today's day and age and more humble. The church needs to put down self-righteous pride and put on humility. One commentator wrote about pride, which is just self-righteousness played out. Pride preaches merit. Humility pleads for compassion. Pride negotiates as an equal. Humility approaches in need. Pride separates by putting others down. Humility identifies with others, recognizing we all have the same need. Pride destroys through its alienating self-service. Humility opens doors with its power to sympathize with the struggle we all share. Pride turns up its nose. Humility offers an open and lifted up hand. So as a church collectively, may we get off our pedestal and get on our knees. Amen.